0: You are listening to audio from The Table. If you'd like to learn more about our community or donate to this ministry, please visit thetabletx.org. I am so glad to be with you all again. I just love being with you. I love this congregation. I hope you know that. Uh, From the moment I called Maggie, I saw her email and I called her. Um, I just felt like God was saying, this is supposed to be. And so I'm just very grateful for you all. My um, scripture for tonight is a very long one, but it's a good story, so we're going to read it all. It is taken from the book of Ruth, and it is chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, so bear with me as we go through this. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went to the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. And when they had lived there for about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died. So that the the woman was left without her two sons or her husband. Then she started to return with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had had consideration for his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law. And they went on their way to go back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, "'Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant that you may find security, each of you, in the house of your husband.' Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. They said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I'm too old to have a husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons. Would you then wait until they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters. It has been far more bitter for me than for you, because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. Then they wept aloud again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me and more as well, if even death parts me from you. When Naomi saw she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. This is God's word for God's people tonight. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. So when we read a book, a title usually gives us a pretty good clue as to what the book will be about. Though the trend is now towards some more obscure titles, well, the classics are fairly straightforward, aren't they? If we pick up a copy of Tolstoy's War and Peace, well, we're fairly certain that it's going to be about war and peace. If we pick up Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, we are pretty certain it's going to be about someone named Harry Potter and some kind of Sorcerer's Stone. So when we look at the Book of Ruth, most of us would assume that the story is about a woman named Ruth. But if you listen to the beginning of the story, it almost seems like the narrator has not received that memo. It says he doesn't seem to understand that the book is about someone else at least according to him. He begins by telling us that in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and there was a man named Elimelech who had a wife, Naomi, and two sons, Malon and Kilion. Now, it's an interesting story because they come from Bethlehem, which means house of bread. But apparently, there was no bread in the house of bread. And so Elimelech had to decide to go somewhere else, somewhere he could find food for his family. But of all the places he chose to go, well, strangely enough, Elimelech chooses to go to the country of Moab. Now, to a place that is despised by the Israelites. They're considered a hostile nation. For us today, Moab would be maybe Iran or... North Korea. Yet this is where Elimelech decides to take his family, to live among unclean and hated people. And apparently, the decision does not turn out to be a very good one for Elimelech and his family because uh, he's only there for two verses. He dies in the third verse, and he leaves his wife Naomi and his two sons, Malon and Kilion, behind. Now, incidentally, the names of the two sons are from Hebrew roots that in order mean disease and perish. So we get a clue right from the beginning that the decision was even worse than we thought at first. And sure enough, after marrying two Moabite women, well, disease and perish do just as their names suggest, and they leave Naomi all alone. She came to this God-forsaken place to find a better life, but look what happened everyone she cares about has died and she's stuck in a country that's not e- even her own i mean she left because god had brought famine to her land and then then she hears that after they left god looked upon the people and gave them all food the house of bread is once again well full of bread it was all for nothing just her luck she thinks she's lost everything and she's all alone Well, except for two daughters-in-law. And although they're really nice girls, they'd do anything for her. Let's face it, they're Moabites. So Naomi decides to go home. Her two daughters-in-law pack her and themselves up, and they all start out heading for Bethlehem. Because they are three widows, you see, they only have each other. But as soon as they get on the road, well, Naomi turns to them and says, you know, you're both really sweet girls. And I appreciate it and all, but I've been thinking about this, and I think it's best if you just remain here in in Moab. You've been loyal to my sons even after they've been dead and gone. You've been so good to me. In fact, you've done more than anyone would expect. You need to go back to your mom's house, though. Find a nice Moab man to to marry you, a husband that will take care of you. Now it seems that Naomi has been thinking, and she's probably been thinking about going home with two Moabite women in tow. She knows that she's already persona non grata back in Bethlehem because she left when times got hard. But not only did she leave, she left for Moab. (laughs) But now, now that things are good again, she's coming back. It's already going to be humiliating enough to go home having lost everything. But imagine how much more humiliating it is to go home if she has two Moabite daughters-in-law with her, even if they are really nice girls. You know, it's really just so much better for everybody if they would just stay in Moab. Moab. But Orpah and Ruth, well, they don't really want that to happen. They want to stick together. I mean, three women together have a chance, but one with no husband or sons? It's a disaster waiting to happen. So they beg Naomi, please let us go with you. Well, now Naomi's getting a little put out. You need to go home. What good will it do for you to come with me? I've got nothing for you. I'm certainly not going to find another husband. and I'm certainly not going to have any more sons for you to marry. You just need to go home. Look, this is really hard on me, girls. But I'm facing tough odds here. God has basically abandoned me. I'm all alone with no prospects. Don't make this harder than it is. Well, Orpa, she is a good girl. And at this point, she realizes that Naomi's serious. So she does what she's told and she heads home. Back to her mom and back to her gods. But Ruth, well, Ruth is a little bit more stubborn. She's not about to let Naomi go home alone. So the text says that she clings to her. She clings to her while Naomi's trying to pry her off. Look, she says, Orpah did as she was told. She went back to her place. She went back to her people. And frankly, it's time for you to do the same. Go home. But Ruth will not give up. She won't give up. She says, don't make me leave you, please. Don't make me turn my back on you. Look, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your country is home to me now. And your God is my God. God. I'm staying with you until death and beyond. God is my witness. I'm not going to leave you. Well, now Naomi realizes that there's nothing she can do to shake this girl. And it makes her mad. If she can't shake her, well, she's going to do the next best thing. She's just not going to talk to her. Did you notice it said... She spoke to her no more. So off they go to Bethlehem. One walking quickly and angrily and the other following behind and not a conversation to be had. Now when they get to Bethlehem, well the whole town is talking about them and everybody comes out to see them, the women in particular. Naomi, they say, Naomi, is that you? They can't believe that she came home and they they gather around her. Now Naomi, instead of saying, hey, good to see you. Hi, how are you? This is my daughter-in-law, Ruth, or any of the other niceties one of us might say. Well, Naomi goes on the offensive. Don't call me Naomi, she says. Call me Mara, a name that means bitter, because the Lord has made my life very bitter. See, when I left here, my life was great. It was perfect and full, but God took everything away from me. Everything I love, God took away from me. Why would you call me Naomi, a name that means sweet and pleasant, when God has given me nothing that is sweet and pleasant? God's decided to punish me for some reason. Now, you can imagine everyone standing there looking at her as the narrator ends chapter 1 with the words, So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley season was beginning. The book is called Ruth, but it seems to be a story about Naomi, doesn't it? Naomi, who pushed one daughter-in-law away and is not speaking to the second. Naomi, a woman who is wallowing in self-pity and the gross unfairness of life, wondering, why me? Why me? None of this is my fault. Naomi, who was sweet and pleasant when everything was going her way, but in the midst of calamity has become angry because she believes God has done all these terrible things to her. In the midst of Naomi's tragedies, The supposed main character, Ruth, seems to get lost in the shuffle. She's just along for the ride, isn't she? And it would be easy to dismiss her, just as Naomi does. And that's precisely, you see, the point that the narrator is trying to make here. Because the fact of the matter is, whether we like it or not, whether we admit it or not, we are a whole lot like Naomi. When tragedy befalls us or when bad things happen to us, we, like her, we begin to focus solely on ourselves. We can't see past those things. We can't see past our own pain. Did you notice, excuse me, did you notice that Naomi never gave one thought to the fact that Orpah and Ruth had both lost husbands too. She didn't seem to think about the fact that neither Orpah or Ruth had children despite 10 years of marriage. That in fact Orpah and Ruth were both in the same situation she was in. She was so convinced That everything was all about her. That she was totally unaware of the tragedies that were befalling other people. And in the midst of her bitterness, she's unable to see the grace that has been given to her. See, the truth is, like Naomi, it's it's easy for us to sink into anger and bitterness when we're in pain, isn't it? So easy to wallow and what we see is the unfairness of life. So easy to believe that God has it out for us. Despite what we say and we might believe, when we are hurting, our theology becomes a whole lot like Naomi's. Believed that everything had happened to her because God had turned against her. So it's so important for us to notice what the narrator of the story is trying to tell us. Because what they are trying to tell us is we are wrong. We are wrong. See, we, we might, our eyes might be closed to, to God's presence. And we might think we know our story. But we may be missing something. Because in the middle of pain and grief, of anger and bitterness, there is a woman named Ruth. Ruth, the one Naomi ignores. The one who seems to be a millstone around her neck. Ruth, who refuses to be shaken off or put aside. Ruth, who although grieving, walks quietly beside her mother-in-law. Ruth, who despite her mother in law's treatment, stands by her faithfully. Ruth, who seems to have a much different idea of who God is. See, we, like Naomi, are so often blind. And the narrator is trying to tell us that it's so important that we look and see our roots. See the people who are standing beside us in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of pain, those people who are shining God's light, quietly reflecting God's love for us. They're quiet, they're unassuming. Who is your Ruth? When you are in pain, when you are suffering, are you seeing your Ruth? Because I guarantee she's there. She might be in the congregation. She might be your next door neighbor. But God is and will send a Ruth to walk beside you And it's so important that we understand it's a gift. It's a gift that we don't deserve. See, it's God's grace. It's God's loving grace. Unnoticed. My friends, I encourage every one of you to look for your Ruth. And I encourage you to listen to God because God may be asking you to be a Ruth. To stand beside someone who's hurting. To let them know they're loved. They're precious. Even if they are acting like Naomi. That's a better word than I was going to (laughs) use. I pray that God will impress it upon each of our hearts so that we might go out into the world and share God's grace with each person we meet. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm moving from one place to the other now. So my friends, I, I want to say that I'm just always so thrilled that you all are celebrating communion so often. It's just this huge wonder and, and delight to me. So I'm so pleased today to um, to say a blessing over the communion. Um, in the Methodist Church, we we have a little liturgy, we do, and so I want to make sure and do the prayer if I can. Would you pray with me, please? Oh God, we praise you, for you are love. And out of love, you made us in love's image. You created us as beloved children, but our pride, well, it marred our loving likeness and separated us from you and from one another, so you shaped the laws of nature, the course of history, the tongues of prophets, and the hope of nations to restore us to your holy self. Holy are you, O God, and blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ. For by the power of the Holy Spirit, he is God in flesh, incarnate love, the I am who is one with us. Anointed to proclaim a oneness with God and restore our oneness to God, he selflessly surrendered his life to death upon a cross. In his resurrection, he gave birth to the church, making us one body fit for kingdom building by all of creation will be restored on the night in which he gave himself up for us our lord took bread he gave thanks to you O god he broke the bread gave it to his disciples and said take eat this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me and when the supper was over he took the cup he gave thanks to you Gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Christ Jesus, we offer ourselves, O God, in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us. We pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, O God, make us one. One with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes again in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, and your Holy Church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty God, now and forever. Amen. My friends, I bid you come. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come. You who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed. Come, because it's the Lord that invites you here. It is his will. Those who want him should meet him here. So come. Come to the table. Amen.